The Process, a podcast about creativity and experimental music. In the world of experimental music, outcomes and accolades for creators can be uncertain and at times seem far and few between. Therefore, creators and practitioners of experimental music must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one creator and their music. Understanding how and why they create can inform aspiring creatives and help audiences better understand and navigate experimental music. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of experimental music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. Julie Herndon is a San Francisco-based composer, performer, and sound artist. Her work explores the body's relationship to tools like musical instruments and personal technologies. Her electroacoustic work has been described as blended to inhabit a surprisingly expressive space and truly brilliant and utterly affected. Davor Vinsa is a composer of contemporary music and artistic director of Novalis Festival, whose artistic focus lies on meta-reality and musical narrative that is implicitly stated or explicitly concealed. On today's episode, we listen to excerpts from To Fight or Surrender, a pair of audiovisual operas directed by Heinrich Horvitz and performed by the Decoder Ensemble with soloist Jessica Azodi and Nina Gao, released on the Infrequent Seams record label. I think depending on the piece, the like you said, the creative process looks a little differently. But for at that time, it really started with the text. And I had um, autobiography of Alice B. Toklas, which I really fell in love with the first chapter several years ago and kind of made a sketch of a piece about it. I knew I wanted to come back to it. So I had this novel and it was going through the text and finding these different bits that really resonated and really sounded like music. Like I could hear how they needed to sound Mm kind of like 
pulling different fragments out of this out of the text and then starting to sing it and play with my harmonium and find these different ways that the phrases kind of fell and find pivot points between the different fragments because there's also there's a lot of things that happen in this book that maybe are are harder to make music from sure um so so really it was a very word-based beginning and not just the content but also singing it and seeing how it felt to actually make music with it are you often inspired by text is that something like a, a non-musical thing like text does that normally inspire you or does it depend i think um song inspires me so mm. if i read something i don't necessarily think of music automatically right. but a lot of times i will write music that has words that go with it so mm. song and and sound to me words and sound go yeah. they do go together sure. um, but i think working with a found text is was new for me using like a like I, this is an author. This isn't like I used an email for a piece one time or like using text you kind of find is really different. And like using a, a like this is like a text by a writer and that kind of like respect that you have to pay to it right, yeah. was a different experience. Yeah, because with an email, I mean, the, the, it's it's such a casual form of communication. We often don't think like, you know, this like sacred document is an email somebody sent me, but somebody's, you know, biography or memoir um, could hold a lot of meaning. Yeah, right. Um, so, uh, uh, Dever, uh, where does the creative process begin for you? I'm going to talk specifically about this piece. So I actually started thinking about it like 10 years ago. Um, but then uh, about five years ago, I... Uh, met with uh, an acquaintance who became a friend of mine, Alexander uh, Hutkono. And um, he was just studying at a time uh, libretto writing uh, at Guildhall mm -hmm. in London. And then uh, I kind of gave him a bunch of ideas that I wanted to have for my opera. Um, and he really formed it into a very original story uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, talks about this whole... Uh, ambivalence that I think we are kind of like daily experiencing with this idea that we have um, the big corporations like selling these magically looking products and there's like a lot of stuff happening behind that nobody's informed and then there's always these scandals that come out and so like a lot of it was kind of put into that mm -hmm. and then uh, when I uh, when I more concretely started working on this uh, whole process then I think um, the whole pandemic played a huge role because we had to shift from live performance to the video format, which also influenced a lot of the decision making. So I think first decision making was a little bit um, similar to what Julie was saying in the sense that like, okay, how do you organize um, um, we couldn't present the whole opera. My still hope is that, you know, one day I will kind of like expand this. I mean, the, the, sure. the opera project is closed. In, in and of itself like it stands as is it's not like oh this is a chapter of this is now you know so but for the purposes of that we kind of had to narrow the story and we kind of took out certain characters that are going to come out in the full uh, version and then it was like okay um how much text do we need and um alex was constantly saying less is more which i totally agree <laughs> because uh you 
the time to read a poem is not a time to sing a song. Mm -hmm. And and I'm super happy that he was very, very flexible in, in kind of like saying, okay, we'll just have an aria. And so that was kind of like the central part. Um, and then I also had this melody that I created and I like also how Julie was talking about songs. Uh, mm -hmm. I also love songs. And, um, and there was like this, um, song that I created then that is being used in this opera we hear it in the potion as as this kind of a little bit twerp distorted thing that is at the same time pretty but kind of rugged um and that's I guess where I started and then the aria and then there was like all of these boxing scenes that started emerging like this very aggressive uh parts that that came then towards the end and then we also had a great um, director, Heinrich Korvitz. Mm -hmm. uh, they did um, just a lot of input in terms of like the visuals who are not part of this city, but one can also right. view the uh, the video versions. And there's a lot of connections and she like played a lot with the hands and also mm -hmm. the cover design that you have by Irma Marcolin, uh, kind of like overlaps two scenes from both of our uh, visual works uh, mm -hmm. um, where these hands kind of like unite or they fight or surrender or however you right. want to interpret it yeah. so that's all, all the visuals were kind of like the shared elements from the visuals are also thanks to a common uh, director that we had for both mm. operas mm. yeah that that's very true uh, Heinrich had a big impact on um, the pieces and for my piece at least sonically as well in how things were in the piece no writing that you mentioned how yeah. the text was spoken and the attitude of it it is um maybe appropriate for this podcast particularly because it's kind of a movement about the creative process and right. this the writer's block and yeah. kind of gertrude trying to write through gertrude stein trying to write through her writer's block or that that happened at a certain point. And it was actually from everybody's autobiography, which she wrote after Alice's autobiography. Um, and the writer's block that came from basically getting famous and feeling a lot of pressure and struggling a lot with how to um, kind of write again. But um, so it starts with Alice typing. So we think maybe this is Alice saying I was no longer writing, um, right. which is true of her life that she was giving up her own voice as a writer in a way to support Gertrude. And, and then we find Gertrude speaking, I was not writing, which it is her story at this point that she isn't writing. And then the different um, voices in the ensemble are saying it in that way that you kind of, when something is ping-ponging around your head and you just mm -hmm. hear, mm -hmm. it's like kind of echoing and you're not really going anywhere new. You're kind of like spinning your wheels and bouncing around the same things and it's just ping-ponging around. Um, so there was a little bit of that kind of murmuring of voices that aren't really taking you anywhere else. They're just regurgitating. Nothing inside me needed to be written. 
Nothing needed any word, and there was no word inside me that could not be spoken. So there was no word inside me. And I was not writing. about identity. I'd always been I because I had words that had to be written inside me. I had written and I was writing them. And now any word I had inside could be spoken. It did not need to be written. I am I because my little dog knows me. Nothing needed any But was I I when I had no written word inside me? thought I would try, but to try is to die, and so I did not really try. Speaking of texts that really stood out to me, I really loved uh, the eighth track, and uh, Dever, maybe you can talk a little bit about this uh, phone call. These kind of voices are a part of a technique that's called concatenative sound synthesis. Mm -hmm. And um, and that, what it does, it it kind of like takes little bits of chunks of, um, of the words and it kind of like assembles them together. Mm -hmm. So what I was doing is like, I had a lot of, um, you know, we had a lot of takes with Nina, Nina Guo, mm -hmm. who was uh, singing mm -hmm. and was also mm -hmm. acting and saying that. So she was also spoke all the lines for the other side we don't hear. And then uh, when you do this technique, there's a lot of mismatching sometimes. So mm -hmm. what I was basically doing is like, I was, I was giving it, the target, the, the sentence it was supposed to match, and then it would concatenate, mm -hmm. oftentimes with a lot of errors, uh, mm -hmm. that voice, and then I put a few filters over it. So you mm -hmm. kind of like, that's why you sort of get it and you don't get it. Right. Yeah. And the second point that I wanted to connect to is also like, similarly to Julie's uh, opera we are also kind of like there's one person that's never really appearing that's fun the, the kind of like person that's so so yeah. also another interesting connection but yeah this uh, particular part of, of the phone call was done in such a way and then there's like a little bit of a static noise that was also taken from because we were recording in a basement uh, mm -hmm. of, a, of a building and and so I was like also kind of like equalizing out certain like kind of like noisy aspects of that room to kind of get that just like tension you know that that person is there and you hear it as so as though you're standing kind of next to Nina mm -hmm. and you catch a word or two but you don't get the whole sentence mm -hmm. in a way that was the, the point of it 
but you can still kind of infer the meaning or the the intention behind the the sort of a cacophonated voice. Uh, you're 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 getting the sense of what the other per like the the urgency that the other person has on on the phone about you need to do this. This person is going to die. You have to yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you have to apply that Shinsheng. Yeah, and, and I yeah. think that's that's what was so beautifully written by um, Alex. Actually, was like his idea that it would actually hide the voice. Like he wrote all these sentences, but wrote them like in brackets and said, like I think it will work the best. Like it's kind of like boring phone calls. Like get like very easily boring when you just like have like two sides and I think there's something enigmatic and again it emphasizes this ambiguousness that I'm playing with a lot in the whole opera that we don't really get to hear what the other one is saying but you notice by the intensity of the voice and everything that there's something that has to be done quickly what I'm not doing it fun Me? Kill him? You put him in that ring. We'll create another monster. Why do you care? It's just another boxer. Are you in love with him? Can't believe this. So, so I have to break all the laws so that you can have it your way. <laughs> Yeah, well, th there's no time to waste, but you know that saving him with Xin Cheng is worse than letting him die. If he dies, I'll, I'll never talk to you again. Hello? There's the zeitgeist that people are making things in conversation with the technology that's there, in conversation with the society they're in, and we have this attachment to, like, our ideas or our inventions. And mm -hmm. I think as humans, we need that. And it also is really linked to survival and monetizing things and selling things and sure. um, feeling ownership over intangible things. Mm -hmm. um, but as, you know, because composers are talking about mm -hmm. music, mm -hmm. I think as composers, it's even more tricky because mm -hmm. we work so closely with performers and with yeah. um directors and with right. you know venues and things like that that Engineers, we're producers yeah, yeah. totally yeah mm -hmm. and that all these things imprint a piece and the way it's maybe recorded or presented in video or presented in sound that we lose you know our idea has become so impressioned by all the things that touched it on the way to someone who hears it um so then is so, it really your invention then yeah. Right. Is it, it, can you even have like 
my idea. Like, is there mm-hmm. such a thing as my idea? Because we do have ideas. And I think many times we all have the same ideas and then we go about executing them very differently. So I think what it maybe comes down to is you can own how you execute an idea, mm-hmm. but you kind of can't own the idea because we all have them and they're cheap and they come and they go. Mm-hmm. Um, but how I realize it and how hard I work on it might very much differ from the way that you realize it and the way that you work on it. Mm-hmm. And so that's how maybe I think the ownership comes in. Mm-hmm. Maybe we don't own our ideas, but we own our process around them and our labor our time. Okay, completely agree with the, with the Juliet. I always find kind of saddens me to a point is the way that uh, people get to forget, um, you know, to acknowledge uh, certain things when working in collaboration. And also this human need to kind of like find that one um, person that I don't know, I I don't know if it's some kind of our innate how would I say, um, so, <laughs> uh, like uh, a, a caveman brain or something, mm-hmm. uh, but to have that leader, right? Like everybody's mm-hmm. like now Elon Musk, Elon Musk. I mean, like the yeah. day has 24 hours, like he can work 10% <laughs> more, 15% more, but he can't yeah. work, you know, like he, he's not, you know, he's, he didn't go into extra dimensions and buy himself five hours more out of a day to be right. receiving all that, you know, accolades for yeah. for a lot of work that our people are doing for him so i think that like that that's where i i feel that um it's important not to forget you know i'm i'm super grateful i'm super grateful to julie for like there's been so much work to to be organized around uh, this whole cd i'm thankful to heinrich to decoder to yeah. nina saying to you know everyone who put james caddy all of the people who you know like they're you know i really like to point all of them out i mean all of this would not be possible without any of them and um yeah, and Alex and right and Gertrude indirectly, right, Julie. Like, yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, kind of right. a. Um, I, I just think it's 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 important to stay humble because uh, yeah, as, yeah, as Julie pointed, the I, we all have ideas and they come and go, and just like maybe our approach to work is what what then makes the end result. But uh, I think uh, other people kind of a co-own a part of these yeah. ideas and projects that we did, especially for this city, right? We have a lot of stories, especially in, in composition, and some are uh, healthier than others, but we have a lot of stories and a lot of personalities who are these singular people who were, you know, started a, a school of thought or a, a, a way of composing or even how Julie was saying, like a, a process that they, that they have. Um, so why do you think, um, and maybe it's not just particular to music, but why do you think we 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 have these stories of the one person who paved the way or the the one person and we don't have more stories about groups of people maybe it's human nature that we really like a hero story or mm. um and it could also be something that is maybe has changed with time where we are more connected with technology, we have more tools, we have more people working on projects, we have, it's not just like Beethoven showing up with the orchestra and like telling everybody how stupid they are and getting them to do it the way that he wants it done. There's, there's like many moving parts and we're also more aware of them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is, is a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't know if maybe it was just as complicated then. And that was just maybe written out of it or yeah. something. Yeah. Or maybe not complicated yeah. is the right word, but just as multifaceted. Uh, yeah. Just as a much part of the process that there was, there was Beethoven, but then there was all the other people that were part of that as well. But yeah, for some reason that gets written out or, or that just wasn't what the writers or the, the storytellers decided to focus on. Yeah, and maybe it has to do with the way that, you know, like our perception works, like for the sake of simplifying, you know, we, we receive at any point so much information, like visual, olfactory, you know, senses, sound. And and like, I think that we tend to like to put things in, in drawers in a way, like sure. oh, this is this, like, and I think that's somehow nice to see that, uh, you know, with this new generation and also this whole uh, talk about uh, gender fluidity and, yeah. you know, uh, non-binary. And uh, for example, Heinrich is very strong advocate of that. Uh, she is yeah. also one of the people who spoke up as a as, uh, German um, director and actor uh, mm-hmm. about, you know, there was this kind of like collective coming out and i think that um i you know it's interesting what's happening i think that we're we're starting to think about things a little bit more malleable where you know things can occupy two drawers uh, partial time and and i think that that kind of maybe will with time get us away from this um mythos about a genius and this one like just like class yeah, and, and all the hierarchy, all the hierarchy of the genius hands down the the sacred scrolls to the to the <laughs> to the hoi polloi, and they play this genius's work. And 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 you know, it's it's so today. You know, I hand a musician a piece of music, and they're like, "You can't write this," or like, "Try this," like, "Do that." Let's move this. Let's change this. And I'm like, "Oh, that's fantastic. That's so much more intuitive." And um, you know, it just comes from somebody sitting with an instrument for their entire life. Like they're just going to know things that I, I just, you know, will never, will never know. Um, and so even just like taking away this idea that, well, what I write is this is this, this is this, do it, you know? Um, but I think there's still a lot of that. Well, well, even if, if we reverse your, your kind of a question is like, I've been in situations where the ensemble was exactly that kind of ensemble that just loves to, you know, receive your input. And, yeah. that, and then right. like one situation where, um, I was explaining somebody that I'm now thinking like, oh, I actually, this sounds better and I'm going to change it. Yeah. And then the, the person says like, but in the score, it says this and right. this. I'm like, but yeah. yeah, but I'm telling you now to change yeah. it. Yeah, but, but, but that's against it. the rules. That's against the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I just was going to agree that the, it seems like the goal many times is a conversation and not just yeah. like an imposing of... Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, this has been fantastic. Um, uh, thanks so much for sharing your time and your opinions uh, with us. Um, let's take a moment here uh, before I let you go. Where can we go to find out more about to fight or surrender, as well as just about both of you and um, your music? Uh, maybe the best place to find out more about to fight or surrender is the Infrequent Seams Bandcamp page. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have uh, many awesome albums on there and um, to fight or surrender the video version and the audio version is there um, to find out uh, 
about us personally, maybe website is a nice thing. Uh, and mine is julieherndonmusic.com. Yeah, and uh, um, as far as uh, my music goes, since Julie already uh, said where the best place is to find a, out more about the CD is uh, db-vincze.com. Uh, and uh, yeah, you can... Uh, you can find more more there or uh, go to uh, SoundCloud uh, page. You just um, type my name and you'll find that. Um, yeah, I guess those are the best places. YouTube also. Thanks to Julie and Davor for sharing their time in music with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out other episodes of the series. And as always, like, subscribe, or leave a comment on your preferred podcasting app. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and this has been The Process. <laughs>